Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. Presented by Bet Online, and if you weren't watching the races this weekend, because they weren't this weekend, they got rained out, moved to Monday. You're probably watching March Madness. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportbook experts. So, Tommy Joe, we'll get right to it. Did you enjoy your week off? <laughs> we had plenty to watch. Uh, now, I can say that as an owner, uh, I liked not being a part of the Bristol Dirt Race. Uh, as a driver, uh, look, I was a big detractor of this event. And, and I, we said it on the podcast multiple times. Um, and, I, and my biggest criticism was that I felt like we had other dirt facilities like Eldora. Uh, we didn't have to make Bristol into a dirt race. But with that being said, I feel like overall, this was a really cool event. And I will admit that I watched the truck race and the, and the cup race while there were some things that clearly needed to be worked on. And I think everybody would say that there were some, there's some takeaways there that we can definitely improve on the, on the racing package and the track and, and everything that we're doing. I think the concept here and the way that it was executed, actually pretty good. So I, I was wrong. I can admit that. I go, you know, there actually is some potential for this. And I thought it was a really cool uh, race. I thought it was a really cool uh, event. And, you know, it's, it's got us talking about it. And that's the thing, right? We have these two races at Bristol. Bristol's such a great track. It always puts on such a great race. Did we need dirt to put on a great race? No. But now... If you're Bristol Motor Speedway, much like Charlotte Motor Speedway did with the addition of the Roval, now instead of having one race, but really, you know, the Coke 600 was the big race and the other race at Charlotte was, you know, it just wasn't quite as big of a deal. And you had two Bristol races and yeah, they were both great races, but we all know that the Bristol night race in the fall was the big one. Well, now you've got two really unique events. And so in that sense, from a promoter standpoint, this make, I think this makes money. Uh, you know, I know there's track prep. I know there's bringing the dirt in. I know there's a lot of stuff to this. But clearly, this is a money-making idea. And I think it's going to be a bigger deal. And, and I think for our sport and, and for the owners, the drivers, all of us, we just got to get on board with it because I think this is going to be around to stay. Yeah. Um, one thing that we had kind of both agreed on is like, okay, this is just going to be a fun, uh, you know, last hurrah to the Gen 6. You know, we're not going to see this again next year, are we? But they announced that it's coming back <laughs> next year for 2022. I was surprised. 
Um, I'm sure a lot of people were, but like you said, there's so much potential and, you know, obviously, okay, it wasn't, you know, the greatest thing in the world. It wasn't, you know, there were some, you know, issues here and there that we just knew we were going to face anyways, you know, coming into this race that we haven't, you know, Cup Series has been on dirt in over 50 years, you know, we knew that, but I think there is so much potential, so many things. I mean, we already saw rules being changed in the middle of the race, adjusting <laughs> to what was going on. You know, I think hopefully NASCAR can take this year and we can come back next year for spring March, which is going to be weird. You know, we, it, it feels like we haven't even really figured out what the next gen car is going to be. And now we're going to have a next gen dirt car. That's why, that's why, you know, I think us both really, really weren't expecting it to be, you know, next year. Um, right away especially in the spring so but but for me i think it was a it was a good event it you know there's things that happen where it could have been executed a little bit better but overall you know i think that we saw some old bristol tactics right we saw some old things that we used to see we're used to seeing on the asphalt at bristol you know we didn't see like we didn't see high speeds, you know, we didn't see, uh, I think the average speed was like 40 something miles per hour. Um, you know, so that was odd. Yeah. The average speed was about 40 something miles per hour, but now at the you know, dirt or on the asphalt Bristol, it's a little bit faster, but I think what we saw was a little old dis dirt, a uh, little old Bristol tactics, right? We saw the bottom lane dominant. We saw some bump and runs moving them off, off the groove. Like it wasn't a dirt race, like, uh, like a, a you'd see it a world of outlaws or dirt late models. They're not ripping around the track, you know, like they are there. They're kind of limping around the racetrack, and I, I think that was that was a cool part. I felt like you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to see a bump and run for the win because Denny Hamlin really wanted to go to the top side for some. You know, I you know Denny Hamlin's the driver. I'm just watching. You know, I didn't get that. I know Clint Boyer was saying on the broadcast saying there's only one thing you can do. And that's move him out of the way. I don't know why he didn't, you know, especially because of the history between those two. You kind of were thinking something like that was going to happen. But I think overall, like you would, like you would, you know, mention when you first started talking about it, you know, there's a lot of potential to improve in the coming years for this event. And hope, hopefully NASCAR does capitalize on that. Right. So where can we improve? All right. Step one, really, our cars are not designed for this. Yeah. And that's been obvious with the Eldora race that we put on in the truck series, they're really heavy. Uh, and, and that's going to lead to packing the track a lot quicker, drying the track out a lot quicker. It was a day race. So the sun bearing down on the track, that's going to get it dustier uh, a lot quicker. Uh, track prep in general, there was the kind of the in between the stages, uh, you know, the 50 lap breaks. I thought that was a great idea. I think they needed to be longer. Uh, they need to be more involved track prep uh, between the stages. You know, you if you watch that race replay right now and you see when the cars fire off, the track looked immaculate. I mean, I, I'll admit, I mean, I thought the track looked fantastic. And really, for the first 25, 30 laps of a run, after it was kind of freshly done, packed, boy, I mean, we saw some great racing. And not nearly as dusty. He had multiple grooves. He had different guys trying different lines. So, Really, I think this is a result in the track preparation as well as the cars that we're running, right? So it's kind of a twofold problem. How do we attack it? I think when we go back, we probably need longer breaks. And I know that's going to lead to like television 
kind of having to stall a little bit more. I think realistically, we're looking at, at probably four breaks, probably four, 15, 10 to 15 minute breaks, almost like, uh, you know, I made the joke with my roommate here. Um, it's almost like in between intermissions and in, in, uh, in a hockey game, you got to bring the Zamboni out. <laughs> we basically got to re we got to redo the surface here, and that's that's really what we need at Bristol for our type of cars. Now, that's not needed in cars that weigh a, a third of what our cars weigh, right? It's a thirty-four hundred pound car with the driver. You're looking at 3,600 pounds for a car. I mean, that's crazy. Right. So, uh, excuse me, they're kind of calculated with the driver in it. So I, I shouldn't speak out of turn here. I'm almost thinking like it's a late model, but it's not. All right. So 3,400 pound car. It's still it's going to pack that dirt big time around the racetrack. And uh, that's what led to the degradation of the track so quickly, RJ. And you saw that. And really, that reared its head in, in what I thought was going to wind up being a, real, a, a much uglier moment. And it kind of started to happen about midway through that, that second segment. We got to about 120, 130 laps in the race, about halfway through, and the visibility was zero. I mean, it was zero for everybody, and that's a dangerous spot to be in, right? So, you know, they, they fired off that truck race uh, for the heat race on Friday, way too wet, zero visibility, right? Immediately, everything's caked up. The motors are overheating. It's bad. They had a red flag in, in one lap. That was a spot where basically, and Scott Miller talked about it today on, on, uh, on NASCAR radio, saying that that was kind of the critical stage where it was like, you know, if, if we didn't get an extended caution there, um, that they were going to probably have to red flag the race. And so they, which I think is kind of a goofy way of saying this. It's like, well, the reason that you got an extended caution is because there was a big wreck because the track wasn't prepared very well. So like, I don't really think that's probably a great workaround. It's like, thanks everybody for wrecking. Like, well, they couldn't see anything. That's why they wrecked. And, and you had the soundbite of Kyle Busch, just absolutely waylaying everybody about how bad you know, visibility was. And I can just tell you, RJ, immediately where my brain went there was the Roval last year where as competitors, were we out there doing it? Yeah. Man, we got to have a little more common sense than that for in race control of going, you know what, man, this is probably not safe that nobody can see anything. And you just got to make the call. And I know that sucks and it sucks for TV and it sucks for everybody that's there. But, man, by the time we got to the end of that race, RJ, that was actually a hard watch on television for me because the visibility, literally watching the cars go around the track, it was it was so out of focus and dusty. It was really kind of disorienting in a way. And, like, it's still a great race, and it was a great show. And I thought the guys put on a great race, and, like, God bless everybody involved here. It's just we got to do something thinking about this, how we're prepping the track, what time we run the race. Is there a way that we can lighten these cars up? Can we take the windshields out? Can we replace that with kind of like a mesh screen, almost like a dirt lake model kind of thing, you know, tear offs on the visor. There's some things that we could probably do to work around this, you know, change uh, the radiator inlet from the bottom of the car up to the kind of the top of the nose for, for a dirt nose, uh, there, there's things that we can work around there to make this a little bit better. And I think it's really going to put on a good show. And, and I think there were definite sections of the race yesterday, RJ, that, uh, that really did look like a great show. Yeah. And that's the good thing about it is that there were things that were good. There were positives and the things that were negatives can easily be turned into positives, right? There's so much we can do yeah. at this event 
to make it better for next year and the years after that. And But another thing, a part of that, you said the visibility and the fact that we ran it during the day. And now I know that we've had so many TV guests on here that have explained this stuff to us. And, um, you know, they know that TV wants races at certain times. But me personally, one of the big things just going into this event, not even thinking about visibility or any of that, just the fact that it's a dirt race. Why aren't we running this at night, right? Why aren't we running this under the lights at Bristol? And and then seeing yesterday the vis- visibility issues with the sun, with the with the dirt, everything going on. It was it was very you know we were supposed to have the truck race at night too. That was ran um, right before at noon. You know, hopefully next year. I mean, I feel like it'll be another day race just because it'll be during the spring. You know, again in March, but. Me personally, I would have loved a night race. I would have loved to see it because we never, we never really got to see it even in practice either. You know, we never got to see what it was like uh, under the lights. The truck race was supposed to be, you know, got rained out, unfortunately. But, but like you said, the positives of, of the whole race, I felt like the, the way they were prepping the track, to obviously to get it ready for Monday was great. I mean, the guys there, you know, did so much. They noted about it on the broadcast how well that went. Um, I felt like, you know, the, the way they hyped this event up, I mean, it's really been the only thing, like we, we kind of noted on it last week, this has been like the advertisement on top of the races the past four weeks is advertising this whole weekend at Bristol. And, you know, we, I, I feel like the fans got a show. I mean, obviously Twitter's different than the people that actually went to the event. I know there are people that actually went to the event, loved it. The people that I've seen that actually went to the race were at Bristol, loved it. I mean, going to Bristol anyway seems like an awesome time, but the people that went there loved it. Some people on Twitter were angry, had angry Twitter fingers, like usual. Yeah, but, it's not surprising there. Yeah, not surprising uh, yeah. at all. My, my only thing there is, yeah, was I there? I was not. Do I know a lot of people in the industry that were there? Yes. And like, this is just not what we're really designed to be doing. And I think about like, and this is going to sound admittedly a little disconnected, right? But this is like the things nobody think about. You know, when when you would go run the Eldora race in trucks, when it came to trying to clean your stuff, like all your pit equipment and everything that you normally use, like you literally couldn't get it clean. Like you just couldn't, there was just dirt in everything that you had for the rest of the year when we did that deal in trucks. And, and I think about that now, these guys that literally had all their pit equipment, their hauler, all this stuff down in, in what was like a flash flood down there for over the weekend and like a mud pit and then practice. And then the days of racing and all that. I just, I feel for the people <laughs> trying to clean all the stuff in these haulers and all this equipment that's been down there. I mean, it's going to be brutal. They're going to have the pressure washers uh, working overtime uh, around the Charlotte area uh, here today. Uh, look, more positives than negatives, right? I mean, that's that's something that we can laugh about as an industry. Uh, but if we're putting on the best show for the fans, I think we're all for that. And, and understanding that this is going to be such a unique thing that it's going to take unique solutions. And I understand not wanting to get away from the standard package of the body and the windshield and the templates. But what we're doing here, if, if we're in the show business, which is what we are in, we are in show business, uh, then we need to have a compromise of the rules when we go to something this unique. And, and I think NASCAR 
understands that, and I think they're going to probably uh, curtail that a little bit. Yeah, and that that's the thing that NASCAR is really kind of getting into the new stuff, right? Like we were talking about before, is this really was the Bristol Dirt Race really being hyped up as a really exciting race, or just because it was new? Is it going to fade off in the coming right. years? We'll find out. And another thing that I wanted to note on is, you know, nothing. I mean, this has been talked about for a while in NASCAR. They've really wanted to add a street race, a street course um, to the circuit. Um, and then we were reminded of that now that the iRacing Provocational Series will go to a fictional street course in Chicago. And that's actually been talked about realistically. Uh, they're exploring so many like different places where to go for a street course. Um, and is, is that the next new uh, thing on the horizon for NASCAR? So I think with the next-gen car, it, it is des- basically <laughs> with independent rear suspension and the way this thing is designed, it's going to handle road course racing really, really well. And so I think that's what's kind of prompting some of this. You know, I, I laugh at the idea. Like, I don't know why we are so obsessed with going to Chicago and NASCAR. Like I, like, I have enjoyed my time visiting the city of Chicago. I don't have anything against Chicago. If we have any listeners that are in Chicago, you have a wonderful city. I am pro, I'm very pro Chicago, uh, but we have run a NASCAR race in Chicago several times. And I'll just say the attendance tough. It has been tough in Chicago and you go, well, we're going to do a, you know, a street race and that'll engage. And this is the kind of stuff that I hear RJ is like, it's going to engage the Chicago market. And it's like, Look, man, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't read the bear of bad news. It feels like the Chicago market really isn't that engaged with NASCAR, and I, I'm just not trying to chase after that. Like we basically shut down Chicago Land Speedway this year. That's basically just it's it's out, and I don't really know what's coming back. And, and when it comes to dates, when we would do it, if it's any time in the summer, I can tell you that is the single hottest race I've ever been a part of in my life was in Chicago, Chicago Lane Speedway, that summer race. It is brutal. It is brutal. So the idea that like hundreds of thousands of people are going to line the streets of Chicago, I'm out on that idea. Like that, that's not working either because it was miserable up there. So I, while, while this sounds great in a lab, here, RJ, I think in practicality, uh, this is going to it's going to be very expensive to do. I think there's going to be pushback uh, from the city when it comes to doing this. I, I don't think the city like there's definitely going to be the other side of this, which is like would NASCAR is noisy and this is not what we need for the city. Like there's there's just going to be that you're, you're talking about a very um, when we talk about the political landscape here, Chicago is going to be on the lo- the left side of this. Even if they want the event, you know, for the revenue and, and the excitement in the city, there's definitely going to be opposition to this. So when you start asking me about the big picture here, uh, I think this is going to be a, an interesting thing. And then when it comes to, you know, passing, I saw the layout of the track. Uh, I guess I'm just not understanding really where you're going to pass a whole lot because it looked like it was pretty short straight away and then a, a 90 degree turn and a short straighter and 90 degree turn. So it's just wrecked somebody really is what it is. It, it looks, <laughs> whoever laid the track out. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know about the track layout. It's, it's like a, it's like two squares or two rectangles yeah. combined together. I was like, yeah. Is this really a, a, a 
a course or is it just, I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. So put me, put me on the skeptical side there, RJ. I'm, I'm just not, it's, it's not that I am like anti street racing in NASCAR. Um, I'm not, I, I, I at least will listen to the idea. The Chicago market, I'm just, you're going to have to really throw something big out there for me to think that that's going to realistically happen. And then part number two of this, and this is a bigger thing, all right? And this is just, this is, <laughs> this is now how my brain works. So everybody, welcome to the pod. If you're new, this is how I immediately think of things. Like NASCAR has to be different than other forms of motorsport. So like what just took place at Bristol, even though logistically and like the rules package and all the complications of, uh, you know, all the practical parts of this, even though that's a challenge, that that is really unique to NASCAR, like the show that we could put on, on that dirt race. And RJ, we talked about this on the last pod, connecting NASCAR to a tremendously loyal Die hard, you know, dirt fan base across the entire country. And like that is, I'm positives, like all positives. You sold, I'm in. You got me. All right. I think it's a good thing. The flip side of that, though, is if we do a a, a circuit race in a city, so like a, a street race in a city, to me, we're doing something that other people are already doing way better than us. Yeah. Like formula one's already doing that way better than us. And, and IndyCar is already doing that better, better than us. And we have more historic kind of track layouts, you know, like over there in St. Petersburg. And, you know, so I just, uh, and like long beach and, you know, the Toronto Indy and all that, like there's, you know, even in uh, Detroit, Belle Isle, running in the streets, like they're doing it, it seems a little bit better than us. And, and I just, I don't want NASCAR to be the same as something else. And, and that seems like something that we very often are doing as a direction for the sport is going, oh, well, that's working for them. We should do that too. And it's like, no, what we should do is the opposite. So, like, if people are going to, uh, to me, this is, a, again, bigger picture thing here, right? Oh, well, everybody's going to real hybrid technology, and they're really pushing that, and that's manufacturer focused. This, me, I think we ought to be going the complete opposite. Because, like, there's an entire group of people that are, like, well, no, V8s, and, you know, we can't let manual transmissions die and all that. And instead, it's like we're leaning into this, and we're just doing stuff that are, people have already been doing better than us. It's like NASCAR and Formula One need to look completely different. Like there should be zero similarities, right? Formula One, the most innovation, the most creativity, the mo- the fastest, you know, cars, acceleration, deceleration, cutting edge of technology for all manufacturers on the most crazy street circuits and glamorous places in the world. NASCAR in, in 20 drivers and teams and you have to be the richest person in the world you literally have to get approved by like the bank of switzerland to even like own a team to even to even buy into a team nascar should be like i'll tell you what you can show up on a late model trailer 
and roll your truck out here and we're racing in Talladega, Alabama. That's that's it. And it's and it's an old engine and it's a four speed manual and it's it needs to be. the And we actually bang fenders all the time. And so it needs to be the most polar opposite it can possibly be. And so when I hear about this kind of idea for a Chicago street race, RJ, immediately my brain goes, okay, so I'm hearing this about hybrid tech in the cars, right? I'm hearing about a push to pass or something coming to NASCAR in the future. And I'm hearing about manufacturers really want to push this. And here's the NASCAR and IS, what, what was ISC, but is now just NASCAR. And they're, they're kind of coming up with this idea of the, and I'm just going, we're basically just being crappy F1. This is crappy. F, we're crappy F1 now. And like, so then you're, you're pissing off everybody that's a NASCAR fan because they don't like that or they would watch F1. And it's like, so that's it. It's like, you ought to have no crossover, no, nothing similar at all. <laughs> and so that's, that's my stance on it. And that's a bigger picture. Look at it, RJ. But I just go, man, from what I saw in the Bristol dirt race, maybe we need to lean into another one of those like that. That's good. And it's so different and so unique. And it separates us, not something that's going to make us uh, appear similar to something else. And I get one to branch out in the markets. I get all the stuff. That's just my take on it and how things just need to be very separated from our version of motorsports compared to other versions of motorsports. Yeah. So firstly, I have a lot of family in Chicago, so I know I've been there a lot. So I know that for the, for the viewers that were kind of puzzled, they're still puzzled why Chicago was taken off the schedule. If they think it was just for a racing reason, there is nothing in Joliet, Illinois around that race. <laughs> there is nothing. And I can that's tell you that too. Yeah, they were trying to get things there, and I don't think anybody cared <laughs> because there's nothing there. There, there is a Juliet prison, and that's about it. There's a few, you know, buildings here and there, and then all of a sudden there's a racetrack. You can see the racetrack. And, and by the way, RJ, so they did this in Kansas, right? It's at Kansas Speedway. They built the track kind of outside part of town, and that entire area really developed like crazy. Yeah. Where now they have. Uh, Sporting KC Stadium is right next to the racetrack, and there's a casino right next to the racetrack, and hotels and restaurants, and all. There's a Bass Pro right there. I mean, all that really blew up commercially. And I'm thinking that was the same thought process there in Joliet, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. There's it. It hasn't happened, and I know there's a lot of racetracks that have gotten a lot of development. I mean, you know, Daytona National Speedway has everything, but that's because it's Daytona. Uh, I went to Atlanta Motor Speedway for the first time uh, a few weeks ago, and you're driving up, and there's trees, trees, trees. Oh, there's a racetrack. It's right there. But I know they're playing. Georgia, middle yeah. of nothing. Yep, middle of nothing. You're just driving around there, and then there's some stuff on the other high, uh, the other side of the track. I know there. Well, there's a Waffle House about everywhere there. <laughs> I know you put you posted on Twitter. I think of the race morning at Waffle House, and I was like, there was. There's a Waffle House. Atlanta, Georgia, home of Waffle House, too. Home of Waffle House. There there is nothing. There's nothing. There's trees. And then there's a Waffle House every once in a while. There's so many. But, yeah, back back to our point about the track is just that there's nothing in Joliet, Illinois. And that's why I was taken off the schedule. And when we talk about crossovers as far as NASCAR, you know, what like you said, I don't like that NASCAR doing F1 tendencies because we need to be our own sport. We need to be our own sport. You know, the push to pass, I, you know, I don't, I don't really get that. I don't like it. Um, 
I don't like jumping into all these, you know, F1 tendencies, like you said. Now there's one crossover that I support. I, I really did like the NASCAR IndyCar Indianapolis weekend. I like that. I think it was pretty fun. Yeah. At, at the at the Indy Road Course. Now that was when NASCAR was at the Indy Oval for the Brickyard 400. Now it is not. So I don't really care as much, but yeah. I thought that crossover was fun. But yeah, back to the point about the, you know, the F1 nascar stuff nascar trying to do that that's that that's a great point if nascar fans like that stuff they would watch f1 and yeah there's fans that watch everything right for racing i mean if we're right you're for your racing fan you're a racing fan but then there's some people that are just nascar fans and they don't want nascar to start doing stuff that f1 does or even just us i mean all of us watch f1 and indycar and we all like each sport for what it is we don't want to see one sport be try to become another sport you know like some people pick an Indy car because they think it's just, you know, a, a bootleg Formula One. They just think it's a bootleg Formula One, some people say. And, you know, we don't want NASCAR to become that. We don't or try to become that. So, you know, maybe this street course will just stay in iRacing. And, you know, if it is, then so be it. And you can race it virtually. Uh, it just won't be a real life thing. But the only the only reason, the only thing I wanted out of a street course is I thought it could be a gateway to having a race in Canada. Like you said, the Toronto street course. I was thinking, I know the Pinty's, Pinty series already runs there. Uh, I mean, they run everywhere in Canada. But I thought, I was like, okay, if we really do do a street race, what if we just go to Toronto and have that be our gateway to Canada? Well, then we obviously have, you know, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, which I think is a, a nice track as well. But yeah, I think overall, you know, great points because NASCAR does not need to become F1. We need to be our own sport. And and that's the thing. That's what people get upset about a lot. And me personally as well, you know, why don't we focus on the things that we need to work on, like in our sport, like and that, like right now, like that make NASCAR NASCAR. We need to work on what makes NASCAR NASCAR, not, you know, focusing on other things that we don't necessarily need. Well, look, it's not that you're not trying to progress the sport, all right? And I get, look, not all ideas are great ideas, right? But I don't believe there are bad ideas. I don't think there are. Like, you got, you need to have these conversations. This is good stuff. The fact that Adam Stern it basically is uh, some sort of telepathy with the people in the NASCAR corporate headquarters, I don't, I don't know what mole he has to get all of these stories, but Adam Stern breaks every story. So we gets broken to us and then we get to talk about it on a podcast, right? We get to kind of chew it up, you know, but really what we're talking about is a difference in ideology, right? So Formula One, more exclusive, more elite. NASCAR needs to be every man, blue collar, F1, white collar, you know, richest drivers and owners in the world. NASCAR, blue collar, uh, every man, you can, you know, basically be a mechanic and the cars need to be cheaper than ever. Like that, that needs to be to me, the directive. Like if you're NASCAR, you don't need to be trying to do anything that anybody else is doing. In fact, do the opposite because that's going to make your sport even more unique, right? Like what you talk about with Canada, get ready. Hey, everybody that's listening in Canada, Canada's a lovely place. I, I don't want to go to Canada. I, no offense. This is a team owner as a sport. Again, we're talking about IndyCar, Formula One. Those are international sports. They go to different countries. They, they race in different places. You know what? 
NASCAR started in North Carolina. It's a regional sport. Now, we have broadened, and I understand the, the reach of our sport. I get it. But to me, again, you're looking at, like, what's everybody else doing? F1s, adding races in different countries, new markets, new – great. NASCAR needs to be – and they are in the process of, like, okay, we actually are closing a few tracks, and we're, like, kind of narrowing our focus. Good. That's what it needs to be, like – Make it even smaller, make it more regional, make it more, uh, you know, tightened uh, around the, the core fan base that is really supporting the sport. Like there, there has to be a reconnection to them. And I guess to tie all this back around here, RJ, like really, that's what that dirt race represented to me. That's an opportunity. And, and I was admittedly a little too close minded about it. But it was an opportunity to connect with a part of the fan base that I do think that we have lost a little bit of interest from over the last few years. And that really seemed to kind of reinvigorate, re-energize that part of the fan base. And we got to have them back. And if dirt racing is the way to do that, then you got a believer in me. That's the thing. The drivers were so happy after the Friday practice. Like everyone loved it. Right. They were all smiling. They were all happy because they were really working the car. Right. They And it was oh, yeah. just a lot of fun to race on dirt uh, in those cars. And, uh, you know, that's another thing. The fan base is the people that really came out to watch that race. Like this whole event, putting dirt on Bristol created, like brought back the Bristol Dirt Nationals, all those, you know, late models, all those dirt cars that came out for that event. I mean, it was crazy. You know, without NASCAR announcing this event, that probably wouldn't have been, you know, probably wouldn't have happened. And we also get all the, the dirt ringers, right, that come out for the truck race, for the cup race. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I was, you know, Shane Golobic was taken out early. Chris Windham taken out early. Mike Marlar, I believe, was having a solid run going. And I think they cut a tire or something like that. So that was unfortunate for them. But then another thing we noted on the, in the truck series, there were dirt ringers there as well. But there were also, right, the cup guys that went to the smaller teams and kind of put them on the map a little more for that race, right? Briscoe with Rubber Racing, Bubba Wallace goes to Spencer Davis. Absolutely. And, you know, Daniel Suarez uh, drove the Young's Motorsports truck. Daniel Suarez, shout out to Daniel Suarez before we forget. Awesome drive yesterday in the 99 yeah. track. Really ride. impressive. And he did really well at Atlanta, too, as well. And, and then he had the speeding penalty in the road, which is unfortunate, but he was running like top six at Atlanta, leading laps at Bristol Dirt. So far, probably the most impressive uh, new team so far. And that could be something. Unexpected, unexpectedly yeah. impressive, right? So, RJ, I think you and I talked before the season and said, all right, Trackhouse, what's a realistic goal for them? And I said, eh, probably like the 13. I mean, that's really the car that they replaced in the RCR stable was that 13 car. And they have by far exceeded that. Uh, so, they have completely changed my expectations of them. And I think – Really, what I was I was saying probably top twenty five would be that would be a good place for them to be, and they are clearly way ahead of that. I mean, they are solidly a top twenty team, and if you're doing that in the Cup Series, as equal as a lot of that equipment gets with those big teams and, and the affiliations that they have, uh, you have chances for runs like that uh, yesterday when, you, when you're up there, and and Trackhouse clearly has put themselves in that same ballpark as let's say the 21 Wood Brothers car or something like that. And, and that to me is really, really impressive. Yeah, we had three notable new teams going into the year and that was 2311 Racing, Trackhouse Racing and Live Fast Motorsports. 
we know what live fast motorsports schools were. We, you know, we heard firsthand, they're just out there to, to ride around. They're preparing for the next gen car. They're not going to, you know, BJ McLeod is not going to buy more than he needs, uh, spend yeah. more money than he needs uh, for this year. You know, they're riding around, they're chilling. Um, and, and rightfully so. That's a small team, yeah. right, RJ? They didn't come in here. That, that was BJ McLeod and, and, and Matt Tift making a smart ownership decision saying that really we need to be in the cup series for sustainability here. And we're going to do this smart. And they set very, very small goals at the beginning of the year, which is finishing the top 35 on the points. You know what? Everybody has played career mode in some NASCAR games. Guess what? Sometimes you just got to start trying to finish 35th. But now Track Piles came in here with, really, they were talking about some big goals. And Justin Marks has been a part of some teams before in the ownership side of things, even as low as like the NASCAR East Series, right? It felt to me like they were pretty big, lofty goals. And you know what? All credit to them. I felt like 2311 was going to be the team that realistically uh, was going to have the most speed, the most uh, chance of making the playoffs early on. I still believe that. Uh, but Trekhouse definitely has put themselves on the map. And look, that's something that's good for the sport here, RJ, right? I mean, we've got Pitbull as an investor in this team. This is something that NASCAR has has clearly promoted uh they're trying to promote michael jordan and pitbull here are two like really big name celebrities that are owners at the top level of our sport and no matter how anybody wants to be you know annoyed by them getting a lot of press or whatever you know i hate to be the bucket of cold water on everybody guess what a lot of people know about michael jordan a lot of people know about pitbull not a lot of people watch NASCAR. It's not just like everybody in the world's watching NASCAR, but a lot of people have the name recognition of Michael Jordan Pitbull. That's fine. So if that's their little bit of like, oh, well, they're NASCAR owners. I thought that I thought that was just people driving around in circles. I thought that was fill in the blank, whatever negative thing people would say about NASCAR, right? If that's what it takes, that little bit of like celebrity that little bit of like justification to get maybe somebody interested in the sport i think that's a good thing it's not a bad thing we ought to be celebrating that and promoting it and for them to step up here rj and for daniel suarez here if we get back to the track house thing for a second here so here's daniel suarez no dirt experience with a team that we would on paper on paper i would probably rank eh 25th-ish, and he's up there leading laps at Bristol. And this is a guy that has been vocal, and I've been critical about it, but, you know, publicly, that's been like, you know, I didn't really get a fair shot at Gibbs, to which I immediately rolled my eyes through the back of my head uh, to be like, you didn't get a fair shot at, at Joe Gibbs Racing? Okay, wait a minute. Uh, but then when Stuart Haas didn't work out, and everybody, so you had two different sides of this, right? They were like, well, clearly Suarez is the problem. He's been on two great teams and it did work out. And then he's then on the 95 car last year. And it's just, or not the 95, excuse me. Um, nice. uh, yeah, right. Uh, and uh, just again, what were the expectations there? Not nearly as high, right? And Suarez at the end of the year basically came out and said publicly, like, well, you know, yeah, we suck. And it, like, that's kind of frustrating. 
coach. All right. We were critical about that. We're like, all right, man, let's still, you know, throw the team under the bus here. It's not like they're not working hard, you know, but it's just different expectations. So I was critical of Daniel Suarez. I'm going, you know what? I'll admit, I think this is probably a little overrated guy has gotten a chance in elite equipment. And I'll tell you, that was definitely within the industry how that was seen. When Daniel Suarez goes out and does something like that, you know, I don't care how jaded that I am towards him and the opportunities that he's had, that changes an opinion where you go, I know that was really hard to do. Like as a driver, what he did, that was really hard. And he did it in a team that I know is not one of the top teams, a new team, not sure what the expectations are. So as a total package, that had to be the story coming away from that race. To me, RJ yesterday was, was the, really just impressive run of Daniel Suarez and track house racing. I mean, it really stood out to me. I thought it was extremely impressive. Yeah. The thing about Daniel Suarez is he, in his Xfinity days, he was very consistent. You know, he obviously won the championship. And then I believe um, they had said like the year before he would have won the championship if it was some other point standings, but we don't really, you know, care about that as much. But when he came to the cup series, I think it was really the inconsistencies. What, what, what bit him, you know, he wasn't as good as we kind of imagined, you know, he didn't really kick off like we would have thought, you know, he'd have a few good runs in the 41 where he'd run top five magically or run top five in the 19, but it was the majority of the season where he wasn't right. And it was the inconsistency. Now that's what we're going to look for for track house racing, right? We go to, um, Daytona road course. I think he ran pretty solid there. Um, after that Homestead, they had started off the race, not very good. They were running right around in the back, you know, battling with, you know, 38 and those cars. And all of a sudden he skyrockets to the front. I believe got a top 15 finish at Homestead. And now we go Atlanta. They were super fast Atlanta and now Bristol dirt, he leads laps. So what I'm looking for is to consist as Suarez. And I know this is a big thing to ask out of this team, but when we look at track house racing in 2311, you know, there's still a lot of things to shake out. And I know J.R. Houston, who works, um, you know, with 2311, was talking about, you know, there are still a lot of kinks that need to be worked out with with the team. And it, and it's shown, you know, yesterday wasn't really a team thing. I was just blowing a tire. But Bubba Wallace was running top 10 majority yeah. of the race. Really good speed. Yeah, yeah. really good speed for him. And, and the you credit know, that yeah. I'm going to give here, RJ, really, obviously, the, the leadership of these teams that have put these teams in place. But to me, the biggest selection uh, as a team owner, manager, whatever you're doing, you got to look at the crew chief position. They're setting the tone for your entire race team, right? And so for both of these teams, they didn't go with, okay, we're going to get the car chief from Hendrick and we're going to give this person, uh, you know, his first big shot in NASCAR. That's not what they did. They went with established pros that have like had success at the top level mike wheeler over there wheels that was formerly denny hamlin's crew chief uh is the crew chief there at 2311 and then over at the 99 track house travis mack who uh basically i'm pretty sure he was the crew chief that got um ryan newman to the final four <laughs> in the 31 card rcr so a lot of experience here guys with both of those guys and so if you had told me, right, take the numbers away, take the numbers off the cars. I don't know what the cars are, right? All the paint schemes are similar, whatever. And you said, okay, guys, here's the deal. Travis Mack is crew chief on this car. 
with Daniel Suarez driving, um, and it's ECR engines. And over here, Bubba Wallace is driving this car. Mike Wheeler's working on it, and that's a that's a Gibbs motor on that one too. I'd have been like, you know what? Those are probably pretty good cars. But now we what we know, <laughs> what we know is like, man, it feels like it doesn't matter who's the crew chief over at these organ these bigger organizations, right? Like they're plug and play. It doesn't matter if they lose somebody. Ah, well, we've we've kind of groomed the next person in line. They're always ready for the next person in line. Travis Mack, Mike Wheeler, big decisions moving away from those perennial powerhouses. And it looks like those kind of bet on yourself move. It seems like both of them were really worked out because they, they've both been extremely impressive early on in the going here in this season. Yeah, it's something that, you know, obviously that more of the hype was around 2311 racing to perform. And I think they've done well for their expectations and track house racing was just the big, you know, wow, you know, because they're, they're coming in, which is basically they're aligned with RCR RCR. A lot of people had a lot of expectations for them this year because, you know, we are expecting them to get better. They had a very, a redemption year last year. I felt like RCR did with Austin Dillon's win and had a, a few great runs as well. Tyler Reddick had some great runs last year. Felt like it was a redemption year for RCR. So now we come in in this season and you got basically what is their third car, which is the 99. And they have shown a lot of speed that we just did not expect early. And Daniel Suarez, you know, and the thing I knew, I knew we weren't going to have a dirt ringer win the Bristol dirt race, like on Sunday. I knew it. I, my prediction was just that I, I had that gut feeling it was going to be a Denny Hamlin or a, like a, a Joey Logano or a, a Kyle. Oh, I did not. I, I, well, that's my prediction. Are, my prediction was Ryan Newman. Yeah. But I had, I'm saying my gut feeling I knew was like, okay, so it, we're not going to get like a dirt ringer win in this race. It's just going to be some. Yeah. some I, I had Austin Dillon who yeah. struggled mightily. <laughs> I, I also know. had Tyler Reddick. I backed it up and I had Tyler Reddick who ran in the top 10 there. But really, he wasn't as big of a factor all day as, as I thought. And I think that that was one of the things here, RJ, is like, and, and this goes back to track prep and the way the race played out. It seemed like it was one groove for a lot of the race. For a large section of the race, it, it really got single filed out. And that made it really tough to advance your position, right? You basically had to bump somebody the other way. The, the joke there was on the broadcast it was racing like the old Bristol. It was racing like a pavement Bristol because you basically had to run in there on the bottom and move somebody out of the way. The way that track changed. And, and look, I have watched ARCA races at Springfield, Missouri. And I see how that track slicks out and gets so slick. And it almost, it almost looks like they're running on asphalt. I mean, it, that's, that's natural. That's kind of like a, a thing that's going to happen with our type of cars. But to preserve the type of great racing that we want to see where guys can move up high and down low, it's going to still come back down to track prep. And I think like that kind of hurt my guys here a little bit. If I had to defend my picks, Tyler Reddick, a guy that we know will rip the wall and the wall was never really an option uh, all day. I mean, it was very briefly an option in the first stage when there was moisture, when, you know, everything was kind of like the bottom still was pretty wet. So it was pretty slick and it kind of leveled out the lanes. But as soon as the bottom came in, that was really the only place that everybody went. And that hurts because Tyler Reddick wasn't up there at the front of the field to start off. He had to kind of work, try to work his way back up there. And, and it took him a long time. And, and Austin Dillon clearly struggled the hailing on that car, was mired back in traffic and just never really had a chance to get it right. 
Yeah, yeah. My pick, Ryan Newman, had a pretty solid race. Um, yeah. I think for him, they got, you know, first top five, I believe, for him since 2019, which is awesome. Had a spin? Didn't hit anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had this the spin. I was really hoping for the spin and win. I was like, I get a spin and win out of Newman, but man, those those cars at the end were just... Uh, were and Ricky gone. Stenhouse was a guy that, that was a dark horse pick there for a lot of people with his dirt experience, wound up second there at the end of the race. Uh, kind of seemed like out of nowhere. Where Another guy that I like to look at Eric Jones in the 43 car with a really strong run. Uh, and that's a guy that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit this year to me. Eric Jones over there with the 43. To me, he's doing a really nice job. I think everybody kind of knew that he was going to do a nice job. It's days like that where you say, hey, okay, would Eric Jones have been on anybody's list for a dirt race top 10? Okay, well, now, now it's there. So I think the way that that shook out, it was a little bit of an equalizer for some of those kind of mid-major teams that we look at, like the RPMs, like the the Trackhouse Motorsports, you know, those type of teams. Now, Bristol, which was a track that we looked at as a little bit of a wild card, it's it's even wilder now uh, with, the, with the dirt surface on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bristol is, it, it, we like I said earlier, we did see some old Bristol tactics, the, the bottom lane bump and run. But man, it was a wild race. I mean, if Ricky Stenhouse would have won that race, the playoff picture would have been nuts. I mean, I would have been sitting here right. at the point where, I mean, we've already had a crazy, you know, seven winners to start the season. That would have been even crazier. So, but after a beat banging race, we had Duke Martins. Well, we have the week off. Um, this week and then we had to martinsville but before we talk about that i want to give a brief moment to talk about our sponsor ebay as well on board with the show whether rare dead stock or the latest release find the exact shoe you're looking for as the original sneaker marketplace ebay is the place to go to pop cop the pair you've been eyeing with ebay's authenticity guarantee your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators and for sneaker sellers out there, eBay's eliminated selling fees on sneakers, $100 and over, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So as I mentioned, we head to Martinsville after this off week. Now for the Xfinity series, like we had talked about last week, this is really kind of almost a break. You guys have had two weeks off now. You got to enjoy the show at Bristol Dirt. You got to sit back as a as you as a team owner and not be there <laughs> thank <laughs> save, goodness <laughs> save a little cash <laughs> but now you head to martinsville we are probably going to beat the fender off of the car and oh, yeah. as we talked about before with the xfinity series uh, we usually kick off the show talking about the xfinity series but now we'll kind of end off the show talking about well we'll talk about really everybody because cup series goes there as well but the xfinity series we know temper splared at atlanta uh with you know not just hemrick and gregson but numerous people um now we head to martinsville where tempers are just gonna flare anyways no matter what if there is a feud going into that race or not so i think it's going to be really awesome a friday night xfinity series race prime time yeah. night race oh yeah a night race baby and then the saturday night cup race so i think that'll be really cool um i mean you think you think it's probably is it a good thing that I mean, for your team, at least, have you guys really taken, uh, enjoyed the kind of the two-week break and now heading into this stretch of the season? Yeah, and for Martin's Motorsports, we've we've been extremely blessed to have some great guys that, that have kind of gotten us a little ahead of the game to where now we're working on some things past Martinsville. Like the Martinsville car is mostly ready, 
We're working on other stuff. We're working on Talladega. We're working on Darlington. We're working on that next big stretch of races that's coming up uh, and keeping our focus ahead uh, after a good start of the year. But you talk about the tempers flaring at Atlanta, and now we're going to the short track, right? And it's so poetic and it's so good. And what I would say, though, even though there are definitely, you know, the tempers flaring and, and you know, people have their nostrils flared out pretty good uh, at each other after that stuff going on at, at, uh, at Atlanta. Uh, I don't think anybody, it's very rare for me, even when I felt like somebody ran me really dirty, I never really went into the race being like, I'm dumping this guy. I, for me. And, and I really haven't heard a lot of drivers that say that. But now you definitely don't like somebody. And you're definitely like, you know what? I'm not going to make it easy on this guy. Screw this guy. There's definitely some of that. But where Martinsville comes in is the thing is you're probably going to just be around that person. And it's a track where to get around somebody, you basically have to move them a little bit. You just have to. And so when it's that person that you don't like, that's the one that's moving you, you might not have gone into the, You might have forgotten about it, right? It's two weeks. We got a two-week break, Easter holiday, probably spent time with the family, down low. You're not thinking about Atlanta. You're not pissed off anymore. You, this is over. And you put the helmet on, and then you go out there around Martinsville, and now here comes that guy that you, that you felt like ran you pretty dirty, and then he moves you out of the way. Well, then all of a sudden, it's like the switch flips. And it's almost like the uh, the red alert sound going off from Kill Bill in the background, and all of a sudden that's when this this stuff starts happening. Um, it just it doesn't take more than one move to go right back to just as mad as you were at the end of Atlanta, right? It's not that it's going to start off that way. In fact, probably the opposite. Probably calm. You're trying to because everybody on your team. We talk about the psychology of this stuff for a second, RJ. When you go to a race like Martinsville, a race like Bristol, a race like the dirt race that we just had, it's. I, I wish I could tell you how many people in my life, on the crew, from the owners to the sponsors to my spotter, the crew chief, my family, everybody that I know going into the race, like, well, you know, you just got to be really patient. You got to stay calm. And it's almost like, uh, you know, I feel like that the scene in that movie where he's like, I am calm. Like, what? Stop stop telling me to be calm. I am calm. And, like, eventually you've been told to stay calm so much that you're just like, all right, can we just get going here? Like, I'm just, I'm just ready to get in the car. Like, I know I'm going to be calm. Everybody relax. I'm going to be relaxed. And maybe the first person nudges you. You go, okay, it's just Martinsville race. Everything's fine. But just it it's just like water torture. Eventually, <laughs> eventually it just wears you down and you do start getting mad and you do start throwing the block on somebody and you do start getting hit harder from behind. Those bumps in, in the first segment, RJ, those are light taps. Move up a little bit. Okay. By the final segment, no, it's almost like somebody behind you is not even using the brakes. They're hitting you so hard. So just the way that that race progresses and seeing some of these rivalries and look, rivalries really good for our sport. And right now the Xfinity series has the best rivalries. Yep. <laughs> it, it's had the most vocal 
yell at matches at each other of any of the top three series so far. And that's good. Like, I'll give Noah Gregg some credit. If, like, if he wants to get talked about, congrats, man. Everybody hates your guts. And at least we're talking about that. In fairness, you know, so, like, you might have everybody on pit road want to fight you at the end of a race. But, hey, that's good for the publicity of Noah Gregson and Bass Pro Shops, like that hat you're wearing right now, right? <laughs> so that's going to lead to excitement, and that's good for the fans. I- I'm lucky to be a little part of it with my team. We try to stay out of all the excitement week to week. We just try to run our race and and uh, bring it home in the top 15 and, and, the, and have a chance at some top 10s. Uh, we're doing our thing. Uh, to get to be a part of something in the Xfinity series and really NASCAR, when we go to a place like Martinsville, we're running at night. It feels like a big deal. It feels like that's a cool thing, especially taking that week off. Right. So now everybody, nobody's going to get any NASCAR for a week. No NASCAR this coming weekend with Easter. I hope everybody has a great Easter, Uh, but everybody's ready for some NASCAR and my series gets to be the first one back um, under the lights Friday night. And that's really cool. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Easter weekend coming up. No NASCAR this weekend. And one thing I was bummed about from Martinsville weekend is today it was just announced that Santino Ferrucci won't be racing. I was, I, I was excited to see Ferrucci in Martinsville. I, I saw the 26 and, uh, and Chris Wright in that one. And I went, okay, well, you know, <laughs> you might need to let some people on Bit Road know that before the race. Uh, I was excited. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Godovic is going to have some. Uh, oh, Brandon Godovic. Excuse some me. people, some people, they'll be like, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not Santino." He's, he's a walk around and, and start handing out, you know, forgive me cards. Yeah, to about half bit road right hey, now. Just let you know, I'm in the car this week. Not, yeah. <laughs> okay. right. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, hope everybody has a great Easter weekend. No NASCAR yes. this weekend, but like we said, we'll we'll make up for the missed weekend with hopefully two awesome Martinsville races on a Friday night. And a Saturday night. So that'll be awesome to see. So another week on the broadcast, Bristol Dirt is down. And hope everybody has a great Easter weekend. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast today, wherever you may be. And hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple Podcasting, Spotify, the Believe Podcasting Network, and much more. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.